0: Um, so, I'm breaking tradition in regards to uh, our verse-by-verse study, but um, entering more into the tradition of the church and those who follow the the holy calendar, or the liturgical calendar through the year. And um, so, we're going to be this morning in John chapter 12, um, and we're going to be reading through verses 12 through 19, and I'm going to set the stage for you for, for where we are at a little bit. So, also with our... Um, yeah, you can start it. With our uh, new two services, Brandon's got me a, a sweet countdown clock there, and I'm um, now being timed to make sure that, so you're all probably now going to be looking back and be like, okay, he got two minutes and we're out of here. So we'll see how that goes. That's just a suggestion. Kind of like speed limit signs, they're suggestions, right? No. The yellow ones, Okay. <laughs> All right, well, the chronological context, we'll read the, the passage here in a minute, guys, but the chronological context for this passage of Scripture is very similar to where we are currently at in the Gospel of Luke in, in, our, in our study, in our verse-per-verse verse study that we've been going through on Sunday mornings, and it's very similar in this as we begin to look at it contextually. It's, it's similar in that Jesus and his disciples are on this journey, right? They're on this final journey out of the, the, the region of Galilee um, and, and headed steadily to Jerusalem. And, and um, we're a little bit behind in Luke than where we are at right now. Here Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And in Luke they're still ministering in Galilee and making their way. And there's going to be events and things that take place along the way. And we'll read about that and study that in, in the weeks to come as we continue to go through Luke. But in John chapter 12, here in this text, we see that Jesus, that, that he will reach Jerusalem. It says it said in Luke that he had set his face to go, and it was this final this final journey, and he he will reach Jerusalem, and in doing so, soon the mission that he had uh, obediently and and humbly been uh, sent to do and sent out to do is going to come to an end. But before Jesus would travel down the last part of that road, leading up to Calvary, with the with the cross that he would be crucified on tied to his back, um, we see that he will present himself. He'll present himself to the nation of Israel, and he'll do so as their king. As their savior, and as the Son of God, and, and Jesus will do so here in this moment that we're reading about. He'll do so in order to perfectly fulfill prophecy and give the Hebrew people every opportunity to accept, accept him. And in my opinion, the events, this is just my opinion, it's not a fact or truth. Uh, I think my opinion's right, but um, in, in my opinion, the events recorded in this chapter, the, the, they're some of the most significant events in the whole Bible, John chapter 12. And this one event recorded in verses 12 through 19 that we're going to read about, we'll single this one out, that focuses on on, on on Palm Sunday. This one event that we'll read about this morning has become known as, as Palm Sunday, and it's traditionally celebrated on this very Sunday, which is always the Sunday Sunday. Before Easter, and then and throughout this Holy Week, then we have Ash Wednesday uh, on Wednesday, and then we have uh, Good Friday uh, on Friday, and there are other churches that are going to be doing services. And I would encourage you to go and be a part of some of the community services that go on, and then of course this Sunday uh, following this one is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and 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 it's all of these these times of celebration and worship are taking us through the events that we're reading here in chapter 12 and 13 and on, which lead up to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And and Palm Sunday is important because it reminds us how the Hebrew people had taken the branches of the palm tree and they'd laid them down in the road before Jesus as he entered in in order to honor Jesus, to honor him as he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And in doing so, Jesus did something profound, so profound. He did something so profound, because um, he, had, he had previously avoided and previously prevented this very thing from happening in the past. If you remember, if you study through the Gospels, there were times when Jesus would, would do miraculous things, and the said so the people wanted to take him and make them make him their king. And, and he prevented them. He avoided it time and time and time again throughout his ministry. But now, something was different. Something that he had previously avoided, something that he had uh, uh, prevented, um, uh, he now allowed for his followers to make this public demonstration in his honor and was by, decla- by allowing them to declare him to be the king of Israel. And Jesus did so because this day if we have to see that he prevented it on other days then why did he did it why would he do it now and he did so because this day was was different than any other day in that this day was the appointed day this day was the appointed day and we'll we'll talk about that keep that in mind let's let's read uh, this account, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin to go through it. So in Luke chapter or John chapter twelve, verse twelve, it says, "The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches." Of the palm trees and went out to meet him and cried. Now, what feast is it? We just had that studied out with the guest speaker last week, right? It's, it's this is the Passover feast, and and he did a wonderful, beautiful job of connecting all the seven uh, feasts that the Jewish people celebrated to how it relates to the Messiah. And we know that that on the day of Passover was when the lambs were sacrificed. Right, the the lamb of the lamb was sacrificed for the uh, forgiveness of sins, and here it's Passover, and Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified, and and as we learned last week, he's the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God. And so all these people had gathered from all over, all over uh, the world, in many cases. Um, to come to Jerusalem to, to attend this feast. And there they are, they're gathered together, and when they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they came out to meet him. And they cried out, it says in verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Then in verse 16, it says, his disciples, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him. What From where? From the Old Testament. In the prophets, these things had been written about Him. And that they... Had done these things to him. Therefore, it says in verse 17, the people who were with him when he called out Lazarus from his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign, raising Lazarus back to life. Then, verse 6, 19, it says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see? You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. And Father, truly, the world has gone after your son, Jesus, our Savior. And that's the reason why we're here today is because we've gone after him. And there's nothing that can stand or prevent the work that you're doing Lord, the work that you had appointed from the beginning of time, which also includes a plan for our lives. And help us to see that today, that you're a God of order. You're a God who predestines things. You're a God who has a plan of good, a plan of good that always triumphs over what is evil. And Lord, let us take comfort and peace and joy in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now... We know from the verses at the beginning of this chapter, I didn't read them, you can look them if you want, but we know that, uh, that, that from the verses at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus and his disciples, they'd just been on in Bethany, and Bethany is on the road from Galilee into Jerusalem, and um, uh, he had been there visiting and eating a meal with Lazarus and his two sisters mary and martha and we know that this is the lazarus that jesus had raised from the grave and news of this had gone ahead of jesus into jerusalem and the people were amazed at what happened because you remember in this instant lazarus had been in the grave for three days and his sister said oh lord don't open the door to the tomb because surely he stinketh by now and, and it was a miraculous thing. And Bethany was really the last city that Jesus would pass through before going into Jerusalem. And on this next day, it says there, as we begin to read in verse 12, it says, on this next day, Jesus' and his disciples made their way to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover feast. And according to the other gospel accounts, we know that when they had reached the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of the old city of Jerusalem, directly facing the Golden Gate, from which the, by the way, that's the gate that the Messiah, when Jesus returns, it says that he will come through. But anyway, and, and we don't know for sure if that was the gate that Jesus entered into now. I, I tend to think that it, that it was. It um, could have been the Lion Gate, another gate on the east side there. Um, but we, you, have the, the, you have the Mount of Olives and you have the Kidron Valley. And if you look through the Kidron Valley, over the Kidron Valley, there's Jerusalem. There was the temple. And here they were on the Mount of Olives and they were preparing to enter into Jerusalem and in preparation for this Jesus has did something different than he had ever done before Jesus never rode a donkey into Jerusalem before and probably never rode a donkey anywhere he went in the sense not that he never rode a donkey it was common and custom at the time but into Jerusalem it was something again different Guys, we're going to stop here. And this is what he, he, he was preparing for. And in doing so, he sent two of his disciples, we're told, from, from we get a bigger picture from all the other Gospels, but he sent two of his disciples to go get a colt, specifically the foal of a donkey, so that he might ride it into Jerusalem. And, when, and, and, and if you look now, when verse 14 points out that it was a young donkey and the other Gospels tell us that it was a colt, what this really means is this was an animal that was not yet broke. Had never been had never been rode before. And so the fact that Jesus was able to take this donkey, one that had never been ridden before, this unbroken donkey, it, it was a miracle. Who's here ever tried to ride a horse and been bucked off? Okay? I, me and horses don't get along. I can't imagine hopping on one that's never been ridden before, much less a donkey. Donkeys are even more honry and more stubborn than horses. You just don't hop on one and ride it but this is what this is what jesus did and the fact that he was able to ride this unbroken donkey was another miracle and and furthermore guys it may be a subtle thing but it's further evidence to support the deity of jesus that jesus is god in the flesh as he once again demonstrated jesus did by this act that he um is the creator and that his power as the creator is over all of creation And they're all subject to him. Now, most people today don't think of a donkey as a mighty animal, right? Would you rather ride a thoroughbred horse or a donkey? Paul. Okay. Paul would rather. (laughs) I think I'd rather ride the horse. Anyway, it's not known as a mighty steed. It's known as a beast of burden, right? A humble, lowly thing. And, and people think of it in that way. And in Jesus' day, they thought of it like that as well. It wasn't a majestic animal that was elevated by the Jewish people. Um, uh, they thought of the donkey back then in much of the same way that we do today. But a lowly donkey is what the Hebrew kings would ride on their day of coronation. They would ride that donkey as they were then presented to the people. And this act of riding in on a donkey was a reminder to the king and the Hebrew people of how the strength, authority, and power of their king came solely from the hand of God. In fact, King David, he kind of wrote about this in Psalm 20, and he said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we, he says, we remember the name of the Lord our God. That's where our power, that's where our strength comes from. Not from horse, not from chariot, but from God. And a good example of the Hebrew king riding a donkey on, on the day of his coronation is, is found in the book of Kings, Kings chapter 1, where it tells us that when King David had transferred his throne over to his son Solomon, he himself, David, put his son on his own donkey. It says, then he was led to the spring called Gihon, to the east side of Jerusalem, very near where Jesus is at now, where he was anointed, it says, as the king by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet. And so on this appointed day that we're reading about now, on this appointed day when Jesus rode a donkey from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, <laughs> we see that it was intentional. He was intentionally following this Jewish tradition and presenting himself as the king to the nation of Israel, to the Hebrew people. Now, when Jesus sent two of his disciples into Jerusalem to retrieve this young donkey, we know, as I said from the other gospel accounts, that he told them some very specific things. It's interesting He told them some very specific things. They told them how they would find the donkey, what to do with it, and Jesus told them that that even if anyone to ask them what they were doing while they were going to take it, they were simply to say, the Lord has need of it. And because of these things, we realize that these events that we are reading about, they were ordained. Literally, they were planned by God predestined by God. In fact, everything that took place on this day, it had been prophesied about many years prior to this. And all of these things were coming to pass in accordance to God's divine plan. That's part of what we need to see this morning. Even Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. In verse fifteen, which is a quote from the book of Zechariah, one of the Old Testament prophets that foretells of these messianic things, it, it, it points out that Jesus was needed this donkey, as it says so, so that he might fulfill the messianic prophecy recorded in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, which says this: "Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion! Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation." Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt the full of a donkey. So, in fulfilling this prophecy, we need to see that Jesus accomplished two things. And if you're keeping notes this morning, you might want to write these down. First of all, he first openly declared himself to be Israel's king, to be the Messiah. Make no mistake, he was making that declaration by doing this act. And secondly, he was deliberately, as we read at the end of verse 19, the reaction of the religious leaders, he was deliberately challenging the religious leaders. And this final challenge to them is what, if you will, expedited the religious leaders' plot to kill Jesus that we first read about in John chapter 11. And, it, and it's these prophetic events that will lead up to Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. In fact, if you look at verse 19, it really what is telling us is of the frustration that the religious leaders felt as a result of these things that were going on. The frustration that this event caused the Pharisees to have. And in doing so, they discussed among themselves upon seeing Jesus ride on the donkey how their plans, which they had already set in place, were accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world is following him. And what they're saying is, indirectly they're saying, we can't stop then acknowledge this, but they're saying that we can't stop what God is doing. In other words, they believed that they were going to, as a result of this, they were going to have to change their plans. They were going to have to now act immediately. Their plans that they had set in place to arrest Jesus and get him out of the scene, that they were going to, they had a plan to do that, they're going to have to act sooner than later before all was lost. And this is important because back in John chapter 11, it tells us that the Jewish leaders had decided to arrest Jesus, but they were going to wait until after the Passover feast. Remember? And they were going to do so because they feared if Jesus was arrested during the Passover, then all of these people who were amazed and astonished by what Jesus was doing would then rise up and rebel against the religious leaders. They wanted to do it secretly after everybody had gone, when there was less attention to, to be drawn to themselves. And ultimately, they knew that if the crowds rose up, and this is what they were fearing, is that then the Romans, who were then ruling over Israel at the time, that they would intervene and that they would lose the power that had been given to them. Imagine that under Roman rule, and here Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, allowing the people to say, this is our king, an act of rebellion even against the Roman government. But even in this, we see that we even in this we see that God was in control. And, and God had predetermined the exact day that the Son of God would be sacrificed. There's a prophetic timeline that God had set forth from the beginning of time that was playing out. The clock was ticking. And it wasn't according to the Pharisees' plans, it was according to God's plan. There was a specific day, a predetermined day, in which Jesus was to be sacrificed. And by his death on the cross, we know that he would become the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Therefore, as an appointed time, as an appointed day, it was appointed for Jesus to die on the very same day that the Passover lambs were sacrificed every single year. Now, as these events that transpired on this appointed day, can, they can be looked at by us. They, they are looked at as we look back, Right? We look back on these things and we see this holy day of history that we celebrate today as a day of history. By the things that all four of the Gospels record. And and the fact of the matter is, is the writings of religious historians as well as the writings of many secular historians tell us that the day on which these events took place, according to the Jewish calendar, was on the 10th of Nisan. That's when these things took place. And if you trans, if you translate that to our calendar today, which we can do, and and it has been done, it's 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 actually April 6th, 32 AD. That's the day on which this happened. Secular historians have recorded it, as well as Jewish historians. The day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and according to verse 13 allowed for the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, or the Hebrew people to declare him to be the king of the Jews who had been sent by, it says, the Lord God. They even acknowledged that while the nation of Israel was under Roman rule. That's why it was a significantly historical thing even to the secular world. So the fact that the Hebrew people acknowledged God... um, uh, as the one who sent Jesus is important. And the fact that they declared Jesus to be the king of Israel was also important. But more importantly, as we look at this event, is the fact that these people, first, when, they, when they first praised Jesus, when they cried out in verse 13, it was with this word, Hosanna. I mean, that's a, that's a, for us, that's a religious word, and we may not even know what it means. We sing it. We sang it this morning, Hosanna. It literally means this, save now we pray. And more than the phrase, save now we pray, that statement, that word, was a reference back to a psalm. And by saying this, the people were directly referring back to Psalm 118. Psalm 18 is a messianic psalm. And and in that psalm, in verses 25 through 26, it says, Hosanna, or it says, Save now, I pray. O Lord, O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And in order to see the significance of this, we need to understand that this psalm was very familiar to the Jewish people. Not only was it a messianic psalm, but it was connected directly to this time of year, in the the feast of the Passover, and, 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 and still is today. And it's very familiar to the Jewish people then and today because it was and still is. This psalm is sung by the Jewish people at the end of every Passover meal. Hosanna, save now, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, all of Psalm 18, as I mentioned, is a direct reference to the Messiah, but specifically to the mercy of God that the Messiah was going to bring. And when the people cried out saying to Jesus, Hosanna, save now we pray, they were hoping and they were literally believing that Jesus as their Messiah would in this moment at this time deliver them from the rule of the Romans, from the Roman Empire. But because Jesus was not the type of Messiah that the Hebrew people were looking for, and hoping for they in the end would not embrace them as the Messiah. And exactly four days after this event, as the clock kept ticking, they would reject Jesus. And many would cry out together, not singing Hosanna, but saying, Crucify him, crucify him. As Jesus stood chained before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. So this day that we're looking at April 6 32 day is an important day of history because the events that tri- transpired on because of the events that transpired on this day but let me tell you this morning this day back in history April 6 32 day is also a great day of prophecy it's a great day of history but it's a great day of prophecy and in Daniel chapter 9, we read where this exact day with these exact events was foretold of by God to, to the prophet Daniel through the angel, angel Gabriel nearly 600 years prior to this event. And God gave this prophecy to Daniel as a specific answer to his prayers about the nation of Israel. Israel. If you remember, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, you can look there if you want. We're going to spend a little bit of time. I'm not going to really read a lot. I will read some scripture, but I'm going to to bring it together, condense it, and, and, and take you down a path, hopefully. But in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, it tells us that Daniel had been reading the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. And in verse two, we're told that Daniel, by Jeremiah's prophecies, or through Jeremiah's prophecies, he came to understand that the Hebrew people would be removed from the land and held captive by their enemies for a period of time, 70 years that God had pointed. And this was significant because this was the time that Daniel was, was this was the time that Daniel was now living in, the 70 year period of time. And Daniel had been one of those men who had been taken captive by the Babylonians when Israel was first attacked. And we're told at that time that Daniel was a young man, still very young, but now he was an old man. And upon reading these prophecies found in the book of Jeremiah, he realized that the 70 years was about to come to an end. The 70 years that God said Israel would be held captive was just about to be over. And this is why Daniel then began to pray. Lord, we're going to be set free. What about the nation of Israel? What, is, what's, what do you have for us? He began to pray about the nation of Israel's future. And in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, God answered Daniel's prayers by sending the angel Gabriel to him and to tell him about the nation's future. And this included information about the coming of the Messiah. And if you want to look there, if you're there, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. um, Let me, I want to read that to you, if I can get it here. Here. Come on, the clock is ticking. (laughs) Uh, I don't have enough time to read it. Anyway, um, this is what I want you to know. This passage of Scripture is prophetically referred to, and you may have heard this term before, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And and you can look at it. I'm going to go through it a little bit, even though I won't read it right now. It's referred to as the 70 weeks of Daniels. We break this down, we're going to, look at, we're going to see some, some pretty cool things. Um, but what we will specifically see is there's a starting point given in this prophecy. There's a starting point and there's an ending point. And it foretells this prophecy with the beginning and the end of something, the exact days of the coming of the Messiah. But to understand this, we must realize that the 70 weeks that is record, recorded in Daniel and referred to is really a week of years. In other words, one week equals seven years. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, if you'll look there, we read that, that the amount of time that is being referred to is 70 weeks, or more specifically, 70 sets of seven, which is the equivalent of 490 years, right? If I do my math right, 490 years. But this 490 years, as you read through that prophecy, is divided into three different sections with three different things occurring in each one of these periods of time. Three sections. And in verse 25 is the first of these divisions. And it says, first there shall be seven weeks, which is seven times seven is 49. And these 49 years, he said, would be appointed, God said, as Daniel's looking for the future of the nation of Israel and what God has for it, God says, first, Daniel, there's going to be a 49-year period of time, and it's appointed for the restoration and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians when the nation of Israel had been taken captive and taken out of their land. Walls had been torn down. Then continuing on into verse 25 a little further, it speaks about an additional 62 weeks. Seven weeks and then 62 weeks, which is 7 times 62 is 434. 434. 434 years. And these 434 years, the second period of time that God's referred to in regards to a messianic prophecy that followed would be the amount of time that would pass before the coming of the Messiah, 434 years. So in total, in these first two sections of this 490-year period of time that God was telling Daniel about, that, that in total there would be 483 of them. And in the first part of Verse 25, God told Daniel that the 483-year countdown would begin with a command, this countdown, the clock would start with the begin of the command to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. when that decree was set forth, when that command was given, and when these 483 years from that time had passed, then it says, to, then God said to Daniel, "The Messiah, the prince, would come." So historically, we know that after the Persians conquered the Babylonians, okay, after the Persians conquered the Babylonians, all history books record it, they they then began to send the Jewish people back to Jerusalem. And at that time, the king of Persia, a man by the name of Artaxerxes, he made an official decree. He gave forth this decree that allowed for the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And it's recorded for us. We know the exact day. It's the 1st of Nisan, or as we translate it to our calendars, March 16th, 445 BC. And in addition to this beginning record, um, or in addition to this being recorded, excuse me, in the book of in the book of Nehemiah, there are also two ancient writings of secular historians who also record this decree having been made on this exact day. First, the Bible record but there's other places of, uh, in regards to secular historians who also record this de- decree being made on this exact day. And when speaking of a prophetic year, um, many of you probably know this. You're already Bible scholars. If, if you don't, I will just reiterate it again this morning. But a prophetic year as it refers to the Bible... It's, it's, it's on a calendar that is 360 days long, not 365 like what we have now. And all ancient calendars dating back to 700 AD that have ever been found only have 360 days in that calendar year, including all the Babylonian calendars that have been covered and, uh, discovered as well. So if we take that 360-day, follow me, if we take that 360-day year, a prophetic year, a calendar year at that time, multiply it by the 483 years that were to pass, right? The first 49 and then the other 434. Until the coming of the Messiah, we come up with a total of this many days. 173,880. 173,880 days. That is 483 years at 360 days a year. So, You take that number. And when you take that number, when you count down these 173,880 days from that decree that was given by Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem on March 16th, 445 days, or 445 BC, excuse me, you count that down, it'll take you directly to Sunday, April 6th. 32 AD. And this is the very day, the appointed day, that Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, rode into Jerusalem and presented himself to Israel, who then correctly or rightly declared Jesus to be the Messiah and their king. Now, the reason for why I spent so much time i to point this out to you this morning with all this in detail is because it's, an, it's awesome evidence to support the fact that all of history and all of our future, okay, all of our history and all of our future is designed and controlled by God. That God would, 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 would bring things in such an orderly way to pass, having spoken about it, Hundreds and hundreds of years before it came, it's an an assurance to us that he has and knows our lives in the same intimate detail. (laughs) Furthermore, the passing of this prophetic events that we read about gives us an awesome illustration of how God's timing is specific, how God's timing is deliberate and how God's timing is perfect. And for me, there is great comfort in this as I remember that God has a, a specific and a perfect plan for each one of our lives. Furthermore, all of these things are undeniable truth or evidences that support really the inerrancy of the Bible, that the Bible's not wrong ever, never once. Every prophecy it's ever made has always come to pass with precision. And, and, and seeing the inerrancy of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, the validity of our faith is then proven that we have something to stand on. Remember Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, verse one it says, it tells us, it says, that faith, our faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And the bottom line is is when you study God's word and investigate the claims it makes, it becomes very clear that the faith we profess to have in God's word and the faith that we have put in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this faith that we have is an intellectual faith. It's a reasonable faith filled with substance and evidence like things that we just read about today. And lastly, the prophetic fulfillment of these events reminds me that our God is not a God of chance. Aren't you glad about that? He's not up there rolling the dice with our lives. They're <laughs> not a god of chance. He is a sovereign God who knows the beginning from the end, and with this knowledge, we can rest assured that He, being all powerful, He, being all knowing, is still in control of all things. Even when we look out at the world around us and go, "It's all out of control," He's in control. So whatever our situation is, whatever your situation is this morning, whatever your worry is this morning, whatever your concern is this morning, we can trust that God is, you can trust that God is intimately aware of it. And in his perfect timing, in his perfect timing, he will bring to pass what he has set forth since the beginning of time for our lives. King David understood this and this is why he wrote in Psalm 71 verses 5 through 6. Listen, he said, and we're going to wrap it up. He said, he said, "For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth." As a matter of fact, it even tells us that God knew us while we we're still in the womb not just from birth, but while we're in the womb. And and, and David recognized that. He said, you are he who took me out of my mother's womb. You, and by you I've been upheld from my birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. And God knows the day we were born. He brought us forth. You know, he also knows the day in which we'll die. It's been appointed, it says. And there's great comfort in that. So in fulfillment of prophecy, Jan, and if the worship team want to come up, we're going to end with this. In fulfillment of prophecy, on the very day appointed by God, during Passover, Jesus we saw, we see. He humbly rode into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, and he allowed for the multitudes to worship him as their king. But guys, listen, Jesus knew. He knew. He knew. And he had even warned his disciples leading up to this point multiple times on the way to Jerusalem that he would be ultimately rejected, right? That he would be betrayed, arrested, and killed. But all of this was also part of God's plan. Because the cross where Jesus would be crucified on would literally become the altar as Jesus' death was the place and the cross was the place where the sacrifice was made for our sins. And on the cross where Jesus was crucified, he bore the judgment, he bore the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might be passed over, covered by his blood. So today, Palm Sunday, guys, it's just one week before we remember and in and, and and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, today, because of the things that we know to be true, we can and we we should and we will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Save now, we pray. And we do pray to you, Father. We cry out to you this morning because you're the Savior, you're the King, you're the Redeemer, you're the Sustainer and Giver of life. And Lord, this life you've given us that you talk about is an abundant life. It's eternal life. And I pray, God, that as as we have struggles in this life, we would see that it's not the end. That it's part of your divine plan, and all of it is good. Sometimes we have those moments where we feel like we're on the mountain. Other times, Lord, it feels like we're in the valley. But in in it, you're there with us. You're through it all. And so we worship you and we trust you and we give you praise and glory again this morning in Jesus' name, amen. You stand and we worship the Lord together with the last song. i mm-hmm. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Palm Sunday. And uh, there will be people up front here, like always, that will be available to pray with you this morning. And, And maybe it's about just reworking that relationship side of your relationship with God back out. So come forward and take advantage of it. God bless.